Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Folks, this is Nathan, and he is going to share a few words, and then I'm going to carry on with the sermon. So over to you, mate. So Greg's asked me to speak for five minutes on repentance this morning. He's going to finish off the rest and probably expand on some of the things I've said. So basically, about four years ago, so September 16th, 2013, I encountered Jesus, and I gave my life to him there and then. Um, And out of that, God pulled me out of a porn addiction, depression, and suicidal Uh, suicidal thoughts, suicidal tendencies in my life at the time. But who knows that not everything fell off of you at the cross. I definitely didn't forget how to search certain websites or how to get certain things up on Google. You know, I definitely didn't forget those things. But um, so this is where repentance is going to come in, right? So the night I encountered Jesus, he told me that I needed to tell my ex-girlfriend everything I was doing. I did. <laughs> then I went home and ended up somehow telling my mum. Then I told my pastor a few days later. Well, actually, I told my dad before that. But um, then I told my pastor. And then in the January after that, I got baptised and I shared my testimony at church. And so I confessed everything to my congregation that I was at. And now with you guys as well. So I've got this idea of confession to man down in my life. And we find that in James 5.16 where it says confess your trespasses or sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's healing in this idea of confessing to man. But to me, it's like uh, sin in your life is like a tree that that just produces bad fruit. We read about bad fruit in scripture. But this confession to man, to one another, this accountability kind of deals with bad fruit. But who knows that next season that bad fruit's going to grow again, right? Because unless you cut down that tree, you take up the root, you're not going to deal with it. And so I'd lived kind of my four years so far as a Christian, just getting this principle of confession to man, this accountability down. I had it down to a T. I'm a professional at it. But there was this pulling and tugging in my spirit that I just kept ignoring for ages. And you know what? Revelation 3.19 talks about how much Jesus loves us, that he pulls and tugs at us. He says this, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. You know, that pulling and tugging that we feel, there's something wrong in our life that God's trying to address, right? And I'm super lucky that I've had mentors in my life that has told me when I've done things wrong in the flesh, but I've never had anyone show me what it's like when God is pulling and tugging at you. You know, 1 John 1.9 says that God is so faithful. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I kind of read that scripture one morning back in October, so it was really close um, to where I am now. But on one Thursday morning in October, I was just sitting in my living room, I'd just done a whole module at university on the theology of repentance, the doctrine of repentance, and I'd heard teachings on it that I'd never heard before, never even kind of heard in a church. And it convicted me, and I felt this pulling and tugging that I've kind of just put aside for four years. 
and I just realized that I'd got it all wrong. I'd been confessing to man, but never once have I said to God, I'm sorry. And so I just prayed that um, prayer. Well, I prayed what David said in Psalm 139, uh, 139, where he says, God, search me, know my heart, and show me if there's any wicked ways within me. And as soon as I did that, just floods of things that God was bringing up in my life just came up. And it wasn't just the sins that I'd done and everything I'd done. It was the emotions he felt as well. Mm. And so I was sitting there repenting. I must have been in my living room for like an hour just repenting of everything. And it wasn't just like, God, I'm sorry for that I've hurt you. It was every category of porn I'd ever searched or ever watched. It was every sexual partner I'd ever had. Everything I've ever done in my life that I have hurt God with, mm. he was bringing up and I was repenting of there and then. And I'm not saying that if we've got sin in our lives, we need to do that. But for me to take up that root of sin in my life, I had to deal with every single little element of it for me. So friends, we're talking about today starting the new year off on the right foot. And I feel that there's something in 2018 where we just need to make sure we're on the right foot with God, that we're not, there's nothing in our lives Amen. that is hurting God, you know? We don't wanna hurt our parents, do we? And I, uh, there's an element, well, there is very much a huge element. When we sin, we're hurting God. Mm. We don't want to hurt our parents. Amen. Oh, Amen. Folks, it's a big deal for Nathan to share this with us. So, Father, we just thank you for Nathan. Thank you for his honesty. Thank you for what you have done and what you are doing in him and through him. And God, thank you that when we testify like he has done, and when we confess we get healed, but the rest of us benefit as well. And so I pray that you would draw us all into this path in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. That was really good. We're getting to this time of year. Christmas is an amazing thing. Uh, it takes a whole month of our lives. It used to just be a few days or weeks, but now Christmas begins even before December. And we're starting to think about Christmas, but we're also thinking about the new year. And I am convicted of the Lord to challenge all of us. Let's use this in God to start the new year well. Is that okay? We're going to take this end of year and the start of the new year, and we're going to try and bring it all into God. And part of that is looking back at this last year and before that at mistakes and sins and errors and dealing with them properly so that we can move forward with joy and life and freedom. And so today I want to look at this whole idea of looking backwards and then over the next few weeks, apart from the Christmas services, we're going to look at looking forwards as well. But I'm asking you to open your hearts and say, Lord, let me use this period, this few weeks at the end of this year to deal with the past and look forward in you instead of just doing it the world's way. So there are four parts to salvation mentioned in the Gospels and the book of Acts. And they are believe, repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you look at all the times that people got saved in the New Testament, there were those four elements. Believe in what Jesus has done on the cross. Repent or turn away from our sins. Be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those were the elements of becoming a Christian which happened in the Bible. Often they happened all on the same day. 
So in the book of Acts, we see many times where those four things happen all at, at one time in people's lives. At other occasions, they happen stretched out over a period of time, and in some occasions, only one of them happened, and yet the person was still saved. So the thief on the cross, dying next to Jesus, sees Jesus dying on the cross. He understands that Jesus is dying for his sins and the sins of the world, and he calls out to Jesus. He says, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. He believed. He did not have time or the ability to be baptized because he was held by nails to a cross. He did not have time to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he only had a limited amount of repentance that he could do. He couldn't go and make up for all the crimes and sins that he'd done in his life. There was a limited amount of repentance, but he did enough. He believed and a little bit of repentance. He did enough to get into heaven. And I believe many of us as Christians have done the believing but hear me now, please. We are not enjoying the fullness of the joy and the life that God has for us because we have just done part of what really is becoming a Christian. Please hear me clearly. You will get to heaven if you believe and repent. If you believe in Jesus on the cross and you repent to a certain degree, you will get to heaven. But if you don't go the whole way, you will miss out on all the good things that God has for you. If you want to get baptized in water, please speak to me. We would love to baptize you. If you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit, please come to the front and pray with us. We will pray for you and you'll be filled with the Spirit today. But today I want to talk about repentance, which is the, the one of the four. Believing we talk about a lot because it's the most important one. But repenting is one we hardly ever talk about. And I believe that many Christians, as I've said, are suffering unnecessarily and are not enjoying the life of God because there's this area of our Christian lives that we haven't really gone through properly yet. And so today we want to deal with this. We want to learn about it and put this stuff behind us so that we can go forward with joy, with life, with power, with peace. Is that okay? And I promise you it is joy and life. So there's a lovely verse in Timothy. 2 Timothy 2 verse 11, which should go up on the screen. It says, this is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. And this idea of dying to live speaks about repentance. You know, we believe in Jesus dying on the cross but then we have to say, yes, let that be true of me. And as he died, we die. As he was buried, we are buried in baptism. As he was raised again to life, we are raised again when we come out of the waters of baptism and when we get filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the whole plan of becoming a Christian. But many people have just done a part of it. So like the thief on the cross, he didn't have the ability to go with Jesus into the tomb and then rise again afterwards and get filled with the Spirit at Pentecost. He didn't have all of that. For him, it was just the belief, just getting nailed to a cross. He died to a degree with Jesus and he repented to a degree and he believed because he couldn't do any more. If you can't do any more than just believe, just do that and you will get to heaven. 
But let's get the whole package. Let's get the whole deal. Because I promise you, the joy and the life of Christianity, we read about it in the Bible, all this life and, and all this power that's supposed to be in us as Christians. And we say, why am I not experiencing that? It may be that this dying to old life and to sin hasn't been fully experienced by us and therefore we can't enjoy the life. If we died, we live. To the degree that we died to the old things, that's the degree that we see the new life. The Bible talks about it like a seed being planted and it has to be planted dead and buried before the sprouting can come up. Christian, have you been through that dying and burying and repenting of the old? You know, nowadays we like to just sweep it under the carpet. Oh, well, it's gone, it's forgotten. But actually, there is a place for dying specifically to sins, to wrong thinking, to ideas that we've had, to beliefs, where we actually die to it, where we put it to death, where we kill it, and we say that's the end of that thing. And then it's buried, and then it comes to new life. Have you experienced that? There was a story told about a lady who wanted to hire a chauffeur. And so she got a few of the applicants and she said, take me on a drive in my car on, these windy, on the windy cliff paths, cliff roads. And the chauffeurs took her and they showed her how close they could get to the edge of the cliff without going over. And they were really proud of how well they could drive right near the edge. But one of the applicants stayed as far as he could away from the edge of the cliff. And he was the one that she hired because she said, why would I want to see how close I can get to death? I want someone who really wants to look after me. It's the same with Christianity. Why would we want to minimize our Christianity to the least we can get away with and get to heaven? Let's get the whole package. And so I'm challenging you today. Let's get baptized. Let's get filled with the Spirit. But most importantly, let's repent of the past so that we can move into 2018 with life. A couple of other lovely scriptures that talk about dying and living. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. My question, dear brother and sister, have you died to sins? Not just as a head thing, not just, oh yes, 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 yeah, that's fine, let's put that under, under the carpet. No, no, have you been through a death experience? There's a, there's a pain, there's a wrenching, there's a, a mourning, there's a sorrow and suffering. Oh, I'm dying. My old life, my old sins, those things. They're actually dying. There's an experience that we go through. Another passage is Romans chapter 6, where it talks about baptism and us being baptized and, and, and identifying with the, with the death of Jesus. And it says in verse 2, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, surely we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And then verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So three pictures, if I may. The first is of a foundation. Do you remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, if you build your life on my words, you're building on a rock. If you build your life on anything else, you're building on sand. How many of you will agree with me that Christians often come into Christianity after building on the sand for all those years of their lives, 
And then they try to, rather than root up that wrong foundation, demolish the house and build again, they just start building on top of the old house. Is that true? Let's just add Christianity to everything that was before. So I'm still the same person. I still act the same. I still think the same. I'm not demolishing anything. I'm not admitting that anything was wrong. No, no. I'm not going to admit I was wrong. I'm just going to add Christianity on top of the foundation that I built on sand. And so you've got the sand and you've got my old house. And now we try and put another foundation of Jesus' words on top of that and think that we're going to build a successful Christian life. We think we've got a foundation of God's word, but because we never demolished the old, we're actually building on a foundation of sand and then rock on top of sand, which means it's still sand. Wow, Greg, that's a bit challenging. That's the first picture. Second picture is of dying and coming to life. I've got to go with Jesus through the death of sin. And it's not just a mental thing of saying, oh, yes, yes, yes. Jesus died, I died. No, no. No, there is actually a place where I say, Lord, I'm dying to, like Nathan said today, to that action. And those specific parts of it and those feelings and, and even the, the parts of my body that have been involved in different sins and, and activities. Lord, I'm dying to those things. I'm mourning for them. I'm, I'm saying sorry to you. I'm dying to it. My old identity, my old control. I am in control of my life. No, that dies and Christ is now in control of my life. My old beliefs and thoughts and and attitudes, I die to those. Those were wrong, and I replace them with new ones. There's a death, and there's a life. And death involves pain and discomfort. And then the third picture is of a human relationship. We know instinctively how this works because every single day somebody offends you, sins against you, does something wrong to you, and you have to work through this process of living without bitterness, living without judgment, forgiving them and loving them, and yet working a way that we're going to now work together. Let me show you how this works in real life. Imagine you owned a business and one of your employees who was a Christian, and I've had this very thing happen to me, was stealing from you. Now the Bible says, forgive as Christ forgave you. The Bible says don't hold bitterness in your heart because bitterness is a root that spreads and defiles and hurts you like poison. So we know I mustn't, I mustn't hold bitterness against this man. I must love him, I must bless him, I must forgive him, and I do that. And so I said to Stanley, I forgive you. However, <laughs> for him to now have access to my possessions and my money again, I would be a fool to put him back in that position until there was repentance. Does that make sense to you? In a marriage, if a husband beats his wife and he abuses her, or maybe he's had an affair. I don't know. There's many different things. 
She can get to the place through Christ's love and forgiveness in her heart where she is not bitter with him, where she loves him and forgives him, blesses him, releases him. Forgiveness is like canceling the invoice, the debt. He owed me a debt because he did all these wrong. I'm canceling it. It's nothing owed anymore. It's up to God to to sort that out. I, I release him fully. But she would be a fool to let him continue in that behavior if there wasn't any repentance. And it's the same with God and us. Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of our sins. And his payment was enough. And the minute that I receive that and I say, thank you, Lord, and, and I let him into my heart, I receive that forgiveness. However, and please hear me now, there is a limit to how much he can use me and how much of his life and goodness and power and blessing can flow in my life if I don't die to those old things. When I die to them, I experience the life. I need to just belabor this point for one or two more minutes, very, very briefly. If you don't repent of all your sins, does that mean you're not getting to heaven? No, the thief on the cross got to heaven. You can get to heaven with a very minimal amount of repentance. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about a person who got a foundation of Jesus. They believed in Jesus, but then their whole life they just did rubbish goods. They just built with wood and hay and straw and stubble. And it says they will get to heaven, but as if through the flames, nothing that they've done in their life will, will go through with them into heaven. It is possible that you get there, but why would you want to sail so close to the wind? And why would you want to live a Christian life without all the blessings and all the power of God. To the amount that we die, that's the amount that we experience his life. And so, I could be a Christian, and I could be speeding along the road at 45 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour speed limit zone, and I'm breaking the law, and I'm sinning, and I haven't repented of that sin and a truck comes and crashes into me and I die instantly. Will I go to heaven? Yes, because it's believing and the blood of Jesus. That's all that's needed to get me to heaven. Does that make sense? But I will hurt myself because I could have an accident. I will hurt others and I will block myself off from all the good plans and all the good things God has for me if I don't repent of that sin and many, many others. So the extent that I die to the old, that's the extent that the new life can come into me. I want to just close by talking about how this looks in real life. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes to some believers, and I'm hoping this is very practical for you, friends, because if we deal with the past, we go into the new with life. If you've been living a Christian life at half power, or you're not enjoying all the blessings, it may be that you haven't been through the death process of various things in your life. So in 2 Corinthians 7, he says, verse 8, Even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. So he wrote them a letter of rebuke. In that relationship, human relationship, he said, you guys have done this wrong. 
He told them what they'd done wrong. He loved them and forgave them, but he said there's, there's got to be this repentance in order for us to work together well again. And it's the same with any human relationship. You can love, but there's got to be repentance for there to be a close working relationship. And then he says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. So they responded properly. They repented for the thing that they had done wrong to Paul. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you may, might suffer loss from us in nothing. He, he's about to show us that there's two ways of feeling sorry for your sin. There's a worldly sorrow which basically is feeling sorry for yourself because you got caught or because there's bad consequences. But then there's a godly sorrow which turns it to God, dies to our sin, and leads to life and forgiveness and blessing. Listen to what he says. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. In other words, there's no regrets at the end of going through it in a godly way. You may be very sad about some of the things you've done today, or last year, or maybe in the past. Friend, you can have a worldly sorrow that will not help you. He goes on to say, but the sorrow of the world produces death. It just puts us into a cycle, a downward cycle of depression because we can't deal with our sin. We hide it, we cover it up, but we know it's there and because we've never died to it, we can't deal with it and it leads to depression and sadness and more and more sorrow and death. But godly sorrow produces life. Repentance and life. And then he explains what repentance looks like. Verse 11, for observe this very thing. You sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. He says, if there's real repentance, it's going to show in the way you act, in the way you speak, in the way you feel. There's going to be something that comes out of you. And now I'm going to give you a little clue here, a little key. True repentance happens when a person can express in words why what they did was wrong and how it made the other person feel. True repentance happens when a person can express in words why it was wrong and how it made the other person feel. And when we do that, there can be reconciliation. If Stanley, who stole from me, had come to me and cried a bit, I don't know, maybe not cried, but convinced me somehow that he understood why it was wrong and that he understood how it had hurt me, I would have put him back in control of my money. You say, if I haven't done this, there might be sins that I've forgotten. Maybe, maybe I did a thousand sins this year and I can only remember 50 of them. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm, I'm not saved about, because of all those sins that I didn't repent of? No, no. God's forgiveness and grace is covering all your sins, but the amount that you experience the joy and the life of Christianity is reduced until you're able to die, go through the throes of death for all of those different sins and say, Lord, I'm sorry, this was wrong, and I agree with you, God, it was wrong, and this is how it made you feel, and it made that other person hurt. Let me go and fix it. 
Let me put it right. And I'm not ashamed to tell the world, look, I did this wrong. That's true repentance rather than just sweep it under the carpet. Let's build on top of our sins. Let's try and build Christianity. It can't work. Amen? Second example, Psalm 51. King David did a bad thing. Do we know what he did? He committed adultery with Bathsheba and he killed her husband. Pretty bad. And yet God used him. After this, God used him to give birth to King Solomon, who was the ancestor of Jesus, who built the temple. He did great things for the Lord after this sin, but it took repentance for him to come back into all the good purposes that God had for him. Listen to Psalm 51. And I'm going to read the little introduction because it's in the Bible. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So Nathan the prophet, David has sinned, he's committed adultery, and he's killed the lady's husband. But he's hard-hearted about it. He doesn't have any repentance. He's living as if nothing's wrong. And the child was born, so at least nine months of hard-heartedness had occurred. David had been living in his palace unrepentant. And God is trying to get through to him, to bring him back to repentance. Why? Because God has good plans for David, and he doesn't want him to live a life separate from God's good plans. So he sends Nathan the prophet. Now, David knew the Bible. David was... A, a Christian man, if you like. He was a, a worshiper of God. He should have known, but his heart was hard, and so God had to find a way of making David see his sin from God's perspective. And the way he did it was he used a trick. He went with Nathan the prophet to David, and Nathan told him a story. He said, there's a rich man. He's got so many sheep and lambs and goats. He's just got everything. But his neighbor only has one little lamb, and the neighbor loves that lamb so much it even sleeps in his own bed with him. That's how precious that lamb is to him. And the rich man took the poor man's one lamb and killed it so that he could have dinner with his friends. And David was full of anger. He said, that man must pay for what he's done, and he must restore fourfold. And then Nathan just simply said, you're the man. And suddenly, all that hard-heartedness was broken down, and David saw his sin. He saw how God felt about his sin, and how his sin had hurt other people. He understood, okay, I get it now. And he, and he writes Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you've broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And God did it 
Because death leads to life. This is my closing challenge, brother or sister. Are you perhaps not experiencing the life of God? You may be a Christian. You may have believed enough to get into heaven. But are you missing the great things that God has because there are sins in your life that you know about that you haven't died to, that you haven't mourned over, that you haven't expressed in words to God why it was wrong and how it made him feel and allowed him to come in and wash you clean and give you a brand new start. And I can testify, and many others can, that the end result of this, it's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and salvation and leaves no regrets. There's a joy There's a peace, there's a freedom because I've died to something and now I can move on. We don't live in this place of looking backwards. We do it once. We die to that sin and then we move on. And we don't keep bringing it up because God doesn't keep bringing it up. But we have to have died in order to see new life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your gift of forgiveness and repentance. Thank you for your promise, Lord, which is true, that says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray for myself and each one of us today that we would be able to go into the new year with life and not being dragged back and held back by sins and guilt from the past, Lord. Help us to go through this process of repentance. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.